I still like those decorations. That's just awesome. Good stuff. Yay, God. Well, I, what? Oh, yay, God. Yeah, yeah, yay, God. So, um, boy, I tell you what, this fall we didn't have any guest speakers planned, I don't think. And then just in like a couple weeks' time, people are like, hey, friends of ours are like, hey, I'm going to be in town, Ben Fitzgerald, you know. And, hey, Bill Vanderbush is like, hey, I'm going to be speaking at this conference. And so, um, man, we just really got blessed by the overflow. And so today we have another one of those. Oh, by the way, my wife and I, we do do Christmas gifts. She was joking, okay. Those of you who don't know, the joke is like we never open them at Christmas because I, I can't stand it. I think last year we opened them 20 days early. And so... Um, <laughs> For real, like I literally couldn't. I'm like, Mary, I cannot stand it anymore. I'm going to explode. So, um, so yeah, we'll see what happens this year. So if we can just make it past Thanksgiving, we're going to be good, I think so. But anyway, yeah, so we got a, a fun speaker this morning. So this is definitely a front of the house. How many of you guys ever heard Dave Jones speak before? Okay, so yeah, not, you're going to have a lot of new people. So you can, fresh, you can just do the same thing you did last time. So that was just good. And so I'll have to say that Dave is actually one of my favorite speakers. And so we have the same pastor, Cleddy Keith. And so that just bonds you when you have a pastor like that. He's just uh, amazing. He's a force of nature. And so, um, but Dave, I tell you what, uh, so he's got the profundity of Bill Johnson with the cool accent of Graham Cook, if that tells you anything. And so I think he's a lot more of a teacher like Brian Simmons, for those of you who know. It's kind of that deep level, jaw-dropping, connect-the-dots and, um, but he's definitely a friend of the Holy Spirit. So let's give a Columbus welcome to Dave Jones. Take your time. Bless you, man. Hello. How are you all doing? Good. Okay, so what I'll do is I'll... Uh, I'll take off where I, I left off last time five years ago. So if you, can, if you can turn to where we were five years ago. Can you, I, I was here five years ago. And it's so wonderful to be back with you all. I am actually going to continue where I left off five years ago. Uh, just, I'm not joking, I am. Um, but don't worry if you missed the first part. You know, it's a little bit like uh, Raids of the Lost Ark. You can, you can still enjoy the Temple of Doom even if you missed... The first installment, although the Temple of Doom's not that good, you know, Raiders is great, biblical, sound theology, you know, if you're a Nazi and you look in the ark, God is going to kill you, um, but Temple of Doom, no, that's a bit strange. So I'm just pleased to be here, so wonderful to be back with Jim and Mary. Uh, I've been to the Pickerington campus a few times in the past few years, in fact, I was there in April with Sean at the uh, School of Supernatural Ministry. Had a great time just ministering and letting the Lord reveal things to people. So uh, I want to share something with us this morning. It's something I've been sharing with my church uh, for a whole year. Um, every Sunday I've been looking at this. Uh, this was last year. Uh, if you can turn with me, please, to the Song of Songs. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's chapter 4. Song of Songs chapter 4. Uh, and I'll start reading at verse 12. Song of Songs, chapter 4 and verse 12. Uh, if, you've, if you've heard me preach before, you always know I always end up somewhere in the Song of Songs. I either start there or finish there or uh, weave it into the message somehow. Because the Song of Songs is God's song to his bride. That's what I preached on last time I was here five years ago. Um, the church is the bride of Christ. Uh, that, that's not just a metaphor. That's why we were created, 
to be the beloved spouse of Jesus Christ. That's why you exist to be joined to God. That's why you were created as this great thought of God to be joined to God himself. And so when God sings a love song to us, uh, it's pretty important. It's pretty essential that we grasp what God is going on here. But I want us to look at one aspect that God emphasizes uh, all the way through the Bible. You can't miss this. Even if you've not read your Bible, you will know this. It's um, a very clear message right from the beginning of creation. And it's a very clear message that's right at the end of the Bible in Revelation. And uh, I'm going to look at this right now. So let's read this verse. Song of Songs chapter 4 and verse 12. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are an enclosed, a spring enclosed a sealed fountain. So God there singing says, you are a garden. Did you know that? Did you know you are a garden? What what happens in your mind when you think of a garden? What is a garden? Now, in England, uh, we call our yard, our backyard, a garden. We put plants in there, trees in there, sometimes a little pond with fishing. And we, uh, we like our gardens. English people love their gardens. They love to put flowers in there. You can't do that because you have deers and they come and eat the flowers. But in England, we don't have deers. In fact, we don't have any animals. We've, we've killed them all off over 2,000 years. Uh, we've got a few hedgehogs. We, we have hedgehogs, but that's about it. What is a garden? God says, you are a garden. My sister, my bride. So he uses three metaphors there describing who we are, his church, his people. We're his bride, we're his sister, we're related, uh, but we're also a garden. Now God begins the Bible by planting a garden. Why? Why doesn't he build a city? Why doesn't he build a house? You know, when I got married, when I had my bride... I'd already purchased a house, so I had somewhere to take my bride. If I'd said to my bride, I'm sure if I said to her parents, you know, I want to marry your daughter, uh, don't worry, I've got a piece of grass somewhere where I will put her. Uh, There's a nice tree there. I will stick her under the tree. She'll be fine. Now, if you live in England, she will not be fine because it's freezing most of the time and she would die of hypothermia. So, so why did God create a garden? Now, God doesn't just begin his uh, narrative, the story in the Bible, by, by creating a garden. You all know the Garden of Eden story. Yeah, just nod anyway. Yeah, yeah, of course, I, yes, of course you do. If you, if you flip right to the end of the Bible, if you read the book of Revelation, if you go to the last verses in Revelation... The conclusion of God's story of the history of humanity, you will find that there is a woman in a garden. And the spirit and the bride say, come, all you who are here, come, come to the garden of God, drink of the free water of the river of life, drink and eat of the tree of life, And you find the picture at the end, Jesus is with his bride in a garden. So the Bible starts with 
a man and a woman being put in a garden. And the Bible ends with a man and a woman in a garden. And then when you turn to the middle of the Bible, the love song of God, you find that God is saying to his bride, you are a garden. My sister, my bride. You are a garden fountain. Let's just read down the, uh, the next few verses. So you're a garden. Verse 13. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, with henna and nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon. It's a, it's a garden full of fragrance. It's a garden full of fruit. It's a garden full of life. It's a garden full of beauty. All of these things illustrate different things that we can't look at this morning. With every kind of incense tree, God's, God's garden is full of his incense. Do you know, whenever you go into God's presence, there is an incense to smell. I actually shared that, Sean, at the uh, School of Supernatural Ministry. What is the incense of God? You have to watch the podcast. With myrrh and aloes and all the finest spices, they're actually ingredients of the holy anointing oil and the holy incense. Verse 15, you are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. Awake, north wind. Now it switches now. This is, the, this is the bride singing to the bridegroom. Awake, north wind. Let the wind blow. And come south wind, blow on my garden. That its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden to taste his choice fruits. This love song, this relationship, this connection that God is having with his bride... The exact same thing that God wants to do with you is taking place in a very specific location. It is occurring in a garden. Just as it did at the beginning, just as it does at the end, at the beginning of man's story, at the end of all human history, in the middle of God's holy scriptures, we find that God's talking to us in a garden. So the garden is pretty important, would you agree? In fact, it's essential for God to meet with us. If we don't understand what the garden is, how are we going to meet with God? Because man was created to meet with God in a garden. Now, we develop our theology so well that we, we say, well, God can meet with man anywhere. That is true. So why did he create a garden? Oh, I can meet with God anywhere. Actually, if you read the Bible, you can't. If you read the Bible, God created a garden to meet with God in. Now, I know you can meet with God anywhere. I know God is omnipresent. I understand that. But when you read the Bible, God is very clear that he has created this very specific place called the garden where he wants to meet with us. If you read the next verse, which goes into chapter 5, then it switches. Now it is the bridegroom singing to the bride. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh and my spices. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. So he's saying, oh, I've come into my garden. That's not really the issue. 
The issue is, are we aware that he's in the garden? Where's the garden? The garden is you. The garden is the church. He's here. Are you aware of him? Now, if you read the beginning of the creation story, on day six, God created the man and the woman. But then the creation story tells us that God had already created a garden in which to put the man and the woman. God had already prepared a place where he could meet with you. God had already prepared a place where he could meet with Adam and Eve. God has prepared a specific locality, a specific place in time where he wants to meet with you. It's called the garden. It's his church. It's us. It's where God meets with us, the garden of God. Where is it? It's now. It's here. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I am gathering my fruit. I am gathering my myrrh. I am tasting the choice fruits. Awake north wind, awake south wind, come into the garden. Do you know when God created the garden, it says that he would come and walk in the garden with Adam in the cool of the day. But that's, that's actually an unfortunate translation because the, the literal Hebrew word there doesn't make sense. The word there for cool of the day is actually the ruach of the day. It literally means the spirit of the day. The word ruach in Hebrew means... It can be translated spirit, wind, or breath. They're all the same word. God comes into the garden to meet with us through the of the day, through the breath, through the spirit, through the wind. It's the same, it's the same in the Greek word. It's the word pneuma. You remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus and he says, how can a man be born again? And Jesus says, the wind blows where it wants, but you can't see it. You only see the effects of the wind. You know, as we were worshiping this morning and I could see everyone lifting their hands, we had that word to lift their hands and everyone was swaying as they were worshiping God. And as I looked, it looked like a, a forest of trees blowing in the wind. Do you know trees in the Bible are always a representation of human beings? Did you know that? Jesus says, you will know a person as you know a tree by its fruit. When the blind man had his... His eyes touched by Jesus, he said, I see men as trees walking. Pi trees are always pictures of humanity. That's why Jesus had to die on a tree. Because the old nature of man, the old tree, had to be taken away. So God comes into the garden in the spirit of the day. He's here now because he has come into his garden. He's always here with his church. And so God creates this garden, a very specific place, a specific time where he wants to meet with humanity. 
And so we find this here in the garden. We find God coming into the garden. We find God singing about the garden. We find God continually mentioning this aspect of the garden. What about Jesus? Well, when Jesus rose from the grave on the first day of the week, where did he go? Did he go and meet with his grieving friends in the upper room? Did he go back to his mum's house? Did he walk around the streets of Jerusalem? Did he go and stand on the Mount of Olives? No. He went and stood in a garden and waited for people to turn up. And he appeared to a woman in a garden, Mary Magdalene. And if you read the Gospel of John, it says Mary Magdalene thought he was the gardener. Do you know why? Because he was. He was the gardener. He's always been the gardener. Because Jesus is the last Adam. He's the one who created the garden. He's the, he's the perfect man who creates the perfect garden. He's the perfect human being who creates a perfect locality, a perfect place, a perfect point in time where we can meet with God. He wants to come and walk in the garden again. And when Jesus rose from the grave, and we were in the garden tomb just a month ago. Jesus rose from the grave, and what did he do? He walked about in the garden, thinking, where is everybody? Surely they've read the Bible. Surely they know that the perfect man walks in the garden and meets with his creation. Surely they know that God comes and walks in the garden. So Jesus rose from the grave. The, the stones rolled away. The Roman soldiers all fall on the floor and have an epileptic fit because they don't know what's happening. And they stand and Jesus comes out of the tomb. Where's he going to go? What would you do? He's, he walked in the garden. Do you know, it tells us that the tomb they buried Jesus in was in a garden. Now, let me just explain something. Orthodox Hebrews, Orthodox Jews did not put tombs in gardens. You would never do that. Because gardens were places of serenity and beauty where you would meet with God. By the way, do you know what the original Persian... Uh, word for garden is it's paradiso it's paradise you remember when Jesus died on the cross and the thief said to him Lord remember me when you come into your kingdom did Jesus say today you will be with me in the kingdom no he said today you will be with me in paradiso today you will be back with me in my garden And so Jesus rose from the tomb. The tomb and the garden did not go together in Hebrew thought because tombs were unclean things. A Jew wouldn't even touch a tomb. An Orthodox rabbi, a, a, an Orthodox Jew, even today, don't touch a tomb. It makes you unclean. But there was a tomb put in the garden. That's crazy. That's like, that's like the government saying we're going to dump toxic waste at an elementary school. I know some governments do do that. They did it here? Oh, I'm not even going there. 
You, you wouldn't do that. Oh, we've got some radioactive waste. Shall we put it? Let's put it in the kindergarten. Let the kids play with it. No, you, you don't put dead bodies in gardens. But Jesus' Jesus' tomb was in a garden. Why? Because God was showing us specifically and purposefully that he was going to rise from the grave and he was going to be back in a garden. He was now ready to meet with humanity. So what did he do? He met with Mary Magdalene on the first day of the week in a garden as the gardener and the woman came back to the Messiah. Because that's where God lost the woman in the first place, back in the garden. Jesus was finding her again. What happened in the garden? God came into the garden after Adam and Eve had sinned. And what did he say? Adam, where are you? Remember Adam, God called Adam and Eve Adam. He called them both Adam. In fact, God never called her Eve. Adam called her Eve. God called them Adam. Man, where are you? They'd forgot the purpose of the garden. They'd, they'd forgot that they were supposed to walk with him in the garden. They were supposed to walk among the trees. You know, as, pe as people were worshipping the Lord this morning, I just, I, just, I just felt an impulse to just walk around. And I just started walking in between. If you were watching me, you may have thought, what's this crazy English guy doing? And everyone was stood there worshipping the Lord, waving light trees. And I was like doing a slalom through everyone, walking around. I just thought, this is wonderful, walking amongst the trees. Do you like to go and walk amongst the, in the forest? Do you do that? Why? Why? You know, me and my wife, we like to go for walks together. Do you know where we're going? Nowhere. We usually go in a circle. We usually end up in the same place we set off. That's crazy. What was the point of that journey? There was no point to the journey. The purpose of the journey was the love relationship as we walk together and talk together as we walk amongst the trees of the garden. Where's God today? He's in the garden. Where's the garden? He's here. Where are the trees? Where are the people? It's us. He's walking by his spirit. But just as Jesus, even when he rose from the grave, walked in the garden, where were all his friends? They were sat at home. They were mourning. They were depressed. They weren't focused on the reality of what Jesus had said to them, that on the third day he was going to rise. No, they were focused on their own problems, their own insecurities, their own lack of faith, their own depression. So, but Jesus was in the garden waiting for people to turn up. And only one person turned up, Mary Magdalene. And so what ha Jesus had to do later that day, he had to go and find two people who weren't sat at home being depressed. He had to find two people who were actually going for a walk. And so he found two disciples, doesn't even really tell us who they are. And he found them walking to Emmaus. And so he decided to come alongside them and go for a walk with them. And he started to talk to them. And as he began to talk to them, it says their hearts began to burn within them. Why? Because God, who had now rose from the grave, was now walking again with his people. Where were they going? Well, they were going somewhere. That when they got there, they were going to turn around and come back. They were going on a totally pointless journey. 
They weren't going anywhere. But Jesus was walking with them. He created the garden as a place where he could commune with us, where he could walk with us, where he could talk with us, where he could share things with us. Now, when God created the heavens and the earth, it says he created the whole earth and the whole world was good. So if the whole world was good, why did he create a garden? Was that better than good? If the whole world was perfect, and he said, behold, it is very good, why did he create a garden? Because although he created the heavens and the earth, and behold, it was all very good, God says that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, he still created a special place. He still created a specific spot where he could meet with you that was better than everywhere else. Well, Adam and Eve could have said, well, let's leave the garden and let's just walk wherever we can. And God had said, go over all the earth, multiply and subdue it, be fruitful and multiply. But yet, it never tells us that he met with them anywhere except in the garden. So God's emphasizing to us that he creates a special place and a special time where he wants to meet with us. When is that? Now. Where is that? Here. His church is his garden. Not the building. The people. Are we aware of him? Are we hiding amongst the trees? Remember what the trees are. Trees are people. It's very easy, easy to, to hide behind other people in church especially. I always like to look at the people at the back. The ones who have backslidden this week. I'm joking. Sometimes the backsliders know the pastor thinks they're backslidden, so they come and sit at the front and pretend they're not backslidden. Sometimes in my church, I go and stand at the back so everyone has to turn around. So the people who wanted to hide from me are the ones I see the most. I could do that here, but I don't want to offend you. When God came into that, the garden and Adam and Eve had sinned, what did Adam and Eve do? They hid amongst the trees. They started to take the fig leaves and cover themselves. What were they trying to do? They were trying to pretend they were a tree. Because they'd eaten from the wrong tree. They wanted to live by their own knowledge and understanding rather than by the life that God wanted to give to them. Come and eat from the tree of life. That what, that's what God's purpose was. He put the tree of life in the middle of the garden. There's a sort of clue there of what God wants us to focus on. You know when someone is in the middle, that's sort of the central focus, yeah? Christ was crucified on the middle cross with a thief on either side. He was on the middle tree. When God puts something in the middle, he wants us to focus on it. You know, we've got a, a little boy who has a Down syndrome. He's called Isaac. You know, whenever m when me and my wife uh, cuddle each other, guess what he wants to do? He wants to push himself into the middle. Why? Because he knows that's where the love is. Doesn't matter where we are, it could be early morning when we're in bed, it, it, it could be when we're in the kitchen, it could be, you can guarantee if I go and give my wife a hug, if Isaac's there, he's going to shove himself in the middle. 
because he feels, I don't know, he knows this. If he's loving her and, and mum's loving dad and dad's loving love, then the love must be in the middle somewhere. So if I get in the middle, I get all the love. <laughs> now we let him do it, but don't any of you do it to us. We, we, we wouldn't appreciate that. So he puts, he puts the life in the middle of the garden. What did Adam and Eve do? Oh, let's try that other tree. The, the, the one tree that God said, don't. Notice God said you can eat from all the trees. Just not that one. Do you notice how human carnality turns it round as though God's being really restrictive? No, God's being super abundant. God, God says you can eat from all the trees. Just not that one, because that one will kill you. Now, if you've got children, you know that if you say, look, you can do whatever you want, but this one thing, this one thing, don't do that. You can guarantee if you leave the house and come home, guess what they've done. <laughs> Have they played with all the toys you've bought them? Have they done anything that you could know? They've done the, oh, why did they say not do that one thing? Let's try. That's what humanity's like. We twist the abundant life of God and twist it so we think God is being restrictive when actually the garden is full of abundance. It's full of incense and fruit and joy and pleasures. You notice a lot of the things in the garden, God created them purely for pleasure. They serve no purpose. You know, I don't get flowers. And all the men agree with me. Well, what's the point of flowers? Now, I get food. <laughs> yeah. You know, someone gives me flowers and I think, why? We, we, we were in Africa just last week. We arrived in Africa. And uh, we have a friend there who's very important in the government. And so we had a, a cavalcade, you know, the, the, the limousines turned up at the airport. There was 20 people all in uniforms. And they came running up to me with a huge bouquet of flowers. And I thought, thank you. I've been traveling for 24 hours. I haven't eaten. I'm tired. What I really wanted was some flowers. Thank you. I don't even know what I did with them. I think I just gave them to one of the people and said, there you are, thank you very much. Never saw them again. Don't understand flowers. Why did God create flowers? Because they're beautiful. Because he likes the look of them. Not because you can eat them. Now, if, if when I arrived in Ghana, they came up with a bacon sandwich, I would have been really, really happy. <laughs> even my wife would have. So God creates a garden. And in his garden, he has all these things that we read about. The, the fragrance, the aroma, the incense, the myrrh, the aloes, the cassia, the flowers, the fruitfulness, everything. God creates this perfect garden. He creates this location. He creates a place where we can meet with him. That's what the church is. The church is a, is a meeting place between God and mankind. 
We are the garden. We are his bride. We've been told this very clearly throughout the whole Bible. We are here to meet with God. The presence of God is always in the garden. At whatever stage, Jesus didn't just rise from the grave in a garden. When he needed intimacy with God, when he needed to pray things through, when he needed to go through the difficult things in his life, the single most difficult thing in his life, the night he was going to be betrayed, where did he go? He went into a garden. Gethsemane. He went into a garden to meet with God. So at the beginning of the Bible, you've got a garden. At the end of the Bible, you've got a garden. At the heart of the Bible, you've got a garden. Uh, At the resurrection, you've got a garden. And when Jesus needs to meet with his father because he needs to overcome the greatest trial in his life, he goes to meet with God in a garden. What did his disciples do? They didn't really know why they were there. So they went to sleep. Because they didn't grasp the importance of why God was in the garden. And what did Jesus say to them? Just stay with me. Just watch. Just for one hour. Just be with me in this garden. Just, Just keep focused on me for one hour. Just understand I'm in this garden for one hour and then I'm going to go to another garden. I'm going to take you there to paradise as well. But just stay with me for this one hour. You know, some Christians, they can't even focus on God in the garden for one hour. Some Christians think they've done God a favor by turning up for one hour a week to meet with God and then they're not even focused on him. they focused on everything else. The trees and the animals. Come come on, guys. Even Judas knew he was in the garden. And Judas didn't even love him. Even his enemies knew he was in the garden. Where's God? He's in the garden. Doesn't mean you'll meet with him, by the way. No, that depends on you. God's already created the garden. God's already met in the garden. But whether we meet with him or not, well, that depends on your faith, on your desire, on what you want to do. Do you want to meet with God in the garden? That's the real issue. When you read the Song of Songs, you'll find there in chapter 5 that although... uh, The bridegroom said, I've come into my garden to meet with my bride. And the bride says, here I am, blow wind on the garden, let's meet together. You read in the next chapter, she loses him. He comes knocking at the door and and he goes because she doesn't open the door. And then you'll read that she meets some of her friends. And her friends start to say to her, where is he then? Where's your beloved? Where is God? Where's he gone? And and she waffles for a while. She's, well, you know, she describes him and she talks about him. And then they say, well, where is he? Do you know what she says? He's in the garden. But she's not. That's crazy. You know, sometimes we think if I could only find God, you know, it's actually easy to find God. 
Finding God is the easiest thing in the world. Let me tell you where God is. He's in the garden. He's always been in the garden. He's here. He's here right now by his spirit. He's walking amongst the trees. He's blowing by his spirit, meeting us in the spirit of the day. And he's here to meet with us right now. But we can become so unaware of it. We're focused on everything else. We're not even aware that God's in his garden. But he is. But he is. He's here by his spirit. He walks amongst the trees in the garden. Just today as he has always done. He's opened up the garden once again for us. It's interesting. When, when God put Adam in the garden on day seven, perhaps, of creation, it's, it says he told Adam to take care of the garden. Now, I used to, uh, I used to work for um, city governments in England. And uh, one of the jobs I had to do, I had to make sure all the, the housing estates, the housing projects were kept clean and tidy, uh, enforcing housing standards in, in the city. And you know what the hardest job I had was? Because when people uh, rented a property from the city or even from a private landlord, they had something called a tenancy agreement. And in the tenancy agreement, in the property, they had to keep their gardens tidy. There were rules about what they could and couldn't put in their garden, so they couldn't turn their gardens into a junkyard. They had to make sure their, their, their lawns were cut and that it wasn't overgrown. Do you know that was the hardest job I had? No one wanted to keep their gardens tidy. When you read the book of Proverbs, it often says that you can tell a lazy man by the state of his garden. I went past the garden of the sluggard. Everything was overgrown. Everything was unkept. God put Adam, God put man in the garden and he said, look after the garden. Why? Because the garden is where we meet with God. You protect that at all costs. At all costs, you protect the place where you meet with God. You see, we slip into the, oh, I can meet with God anywhere. We know you can, but you've got to have a special place. You've got to have a special time. You've got to have a real relationship where you can walk with God, where you can talk with God, where you can meet with God, where you can hear his voice. When Adam and Eve heard his voice, they hid in the garden. We've got to cultivate this garden. We've got to cultivate all the aspects of the garden. We've got to make sure we're meeting with God. Coming to church does not mean you are meeting with God. It doesn't. I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for 20 years. Some people hide from God in the garden unlike anywhere else they do. Take care of the garden. Make sure that you've got this place where you meet with God. Make sure that everything in the garden is working correctly. Because if the stuff in the garden is not kept, if the stuff in the garden is not in place, you're going to run into real trouble. You know, some Christians don't even want to protect their own church. 
Ooh, it went quiet then. The church is the garden. You should protect the church at all costs. Because if the church gets broken down and if the church isn't looked after, it's going to be difficult for people to meet with God. Never let the church be harmed. Never let the church be damaged. You know, the church is the best place to meet with God. Remember, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about when we meet as the people and the body of God. When we meet and we worship the Lord and the Holy Spirit is here, that is the best place to meet with God. You've got to have this place to meet with God. Now, if you're married, you will have favorite places to go with your wife or with your husband. Yeah? Favorite restaurant. Favorite. We, we have a holiday spot, me and my wife. It's, uh, it's in the Mediterranean. It's, it's a, called the Balearic Islands. Little island called Menorca, just off the coast of Spain. And we go there every year. Do you know why we go? Let me give you a profound theological understanding of this. Because we like it. Yeah? Because it's, it's nice. And we go back to the same place. We've, we've found a little apartment we like. It's not luxurious, but it has everything we want. It has a beach, has a pool, has a river where we can fish has a place for the kids to play. It has everything we want. So we go back to the same spot over and over again. Every year we go there. And some people say, don't you get bored of being there? Don't you want to try somewhere different? Well, we can try different places as well. But if I have a favorite spot where I can be with my wife and with my children, that's where I want to go. Do you know God has a favorite spot he likes to go? Do you know where it is? The garden. Does he get bored? Ask him. I don't think so, because he still turns up there all the time. Where's the garden? You. Here. Now. His church. His people. Why is God here? Because he likes it. He created it. We're here to meet with God. What does he do? He walks around his garden. Where's he going? He's not going anywhere. He just wants to keep walking around until we catch up with him. You know, every righteous person in the Old Testament first dispensation, do you know how it describes their righteousness? It says, they walked with God. Enoch, Noah, they walked with God. God wants to walk with us. He wants to talk with us. He wants to commune with us. He wants to spend time with us in this garden. That's why he's here. That's why he created us. That's why he comes into this garden. It's his favorite place. It's his best place. You know, if my wife and children didn't come with me to my favorite vacation destination, I don't think I would want to go. Because it's not really just the locality that I like. It's the people who are there with me. Are you following me? You know, some of the best places to be suddenly become awful places if you're not with the people you want to be with. 
You know, I can think of some people, obviously these people are back in England, who if I took them on holiday with me, it would ruin my vacation. <laughs> Not met anyone in America like that. <laughs> Suddenly, my favorite location, my favorite holiday destination would become awful. But if I didn't take my wife, now just close your eyes a minute, think of that person. You know who I'm talking about. You know them, perhaps that, that guy at work or that, that, that lady in the store. You know, what, you know who I'm talking about. They've got an awful voice. You know, they, ne they, they never say anything positive. They're so negative. They depress you after five minutes. They're the kind of person when you ask them how are you, they actually tell you how they are <laughs> rather than just pretending everything's fine. Now imagine taking them on vacation for two weeks, just you and them, and going out for meals together, and going for walks together. Suddenly, you would rather be at work <laughs> than on vacation. Because it's not really the destination, is it? It's not really just here and now. It's not this building. It's that God doesn't just have a special place, the garden. He has a favorite person he wants to be with, his bride. That's why God created the woman for the man in the first place. The man was in the garden, but God said, this is not good. So he, his favorite place is actually incidental when compared to his favorite person. And his favorite person is his church. So God's here to meet with you. Because he wants to be with you. Wow. Wow. He could go for a walk around the galaxy with the Archangel Michael. Instead, he'd rather be in Columbus with you. He could create a new universe. He could create new creatures. You know, he could create... Uh, Little elephants. I mean, how cool would that be? To have an elephant that was, you know, three inches tall. I'd play with that for weeks before I got bored. But he could do anything, and he wants to be here with you. He wants to walk with you in the spirit of the day. He wants to meet with you in the garden. He's, he's revealed it all the way through the Bible. You read the book of Esther, when the king creates, you know, the Babylonian kings and the Persian kings, when they created a palace for their brides, do you know what they, the focus, now I did archaeology at college, this is true in Roman culture, this is true in, in, in Greco-Roman culture, when a man built a house, do you know what the house was formed around, it was formed around a garden, a courtyard. And they would build a villa around, and that's why when you dig in for Roman artifacts, you always know when you found a Roman villa because it was always around a garden area. That was the central focus of the household because the man would go and sit with his woman. The man and wife would sit in the central courtyard, the garden. So in the book of Esther, the king created a perfect garden. The Babylonian kings did it as well. It was actually called one of the seven wonders of the world. Do you know what it was called? The Hanging Gardens of Babylon. That's what it was famous for. Create a perfect place. Create a perfect paradiso. A paradiso, it means a, an enclosed garden. 
Jesus says, I'm going to take you to paradise. I'm going to take you to my garden. I want you to be there. Do you know we can be there now? We can walk with God right now. Do you know what the, the, the Bible tells us was the main thing in the garden other than the tree of life? It says there was a river flowing through the garden. Jesus says, he who believes in me, out of his innermost being, will flow a river of living water. By this he meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed on him would later receive. There's still a river flowing through the garden. There's a river flowing right now through his people, through his church. And it says, wherever the river went, it brought life. Ezekiel saw this river. He said it flowed out of the temple. Guess what the temple is? The temple is the church. Seven times in the New Testament. The Bible tells us the church is the temple of God. There's a temp temple here. Do you know when Moses built the temple? Do you know what it was to represent? They were in the middle of a desert. And they would create this temple. And all around on all the walls and the curtains of the temple they would have trees, palm trees, and pomegranate trees. And then they would have the golden lampstand, the menorah that we call it. But you know the lampstand was in the shape of a tree, an almond tree? And then they would have a huge golden basin in the shape of a water lily, and out of that would flow water. And then they would have two huge pillars with pomegranates on them. The temple was to be a picture of the garden. And they would have known that by looking at it. We don't think that in our Western mindset. We think the temple is just like some static building. But in God's mind, it was to represent the garden. Do you know what was on the two doors at the entrance to the temple? Two cherubim. Two mighty creatures, more mighty than angels, guarding the entrance into the garden of God. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, they were cast out of the garden. And two cherubim were put at the entrance to the garden that would prohibit man from ever getting back into the garden. And on the front of the temple curtain and on the doors were two cherubim. And those two cherubim represented to all mankind, you will never get back in the garden. Your sin has cut you off. When Adam and Eve sinned, God banished them from the garden. You will have no access to the water of life. You will have no access to the tree of life. You can't come back into my garden because your sin and your guilt and your shame prohibits you from coming into my presence and the greatest repercussion of sin was that Adam and Eve could not go back into the garden but when Christ died that curtain that had those two cherubim on was ripped open and the cherubim were removed. And access into the temple, God's garden, was granted once again to humanity. And that's why when Jesus rose from the grave, he stood in the garden waiting for us to turn up. Where's God? He's in his garden. He's always been in his garden. He created it for us. He created us to live with him, to walk with him, to have the Holy Spirit flowing through us, to have the wind blowing through us, to have these rivers flowing. 
And that's why God has always emphasized this garden. But here's the crazy thing. Here's the, here's the thing I, I can't fully get my head around, but it's still true. There was something else in the garden. There was a snake, a serpent. Why was he even in the garden? Why was the devil, why was Satan, why was he in the garden? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, God's created this perfect place called Eden, where he puts man and his bride, and everything's perfect in the garden. And then it tells us, now the serpent, hold on a minute, where did he come from? You know, when you have a, we've just become grandparents. I know you can't believe that, but we've just become grandparents. Uh, our, Our little granddaughter Zoe, life, spiritual life. Um, prepared the nursery, you know, you've put in a crib and all the toys and you've decorated and it's wonderful. You know, if I went to my son and said, you know, there's something missing from this nursery. I've got a rattlesnake. <laughs> Let's just put the rattlesnake in the crib and so she has something to play with. You know what? It never entered my head. Well, I thought about it but then thought it was a bad idea. In the garden was the devil, the serpent. Why? I don't know. I don't fully understand it. It's the same as why was the the, the other tree there. But I do know that God always gives you a choice about how to live who to follow, who to listen to, what to eat. There's always two trees in the garden. There's always the devil's voice as well as the voice of God speaking in this world. Which voice are you listening to? The woman listened to the serpent. And when she heard the voice of God, she hid. How many people are hiding from God's voice but listening to the serpent's voice? I mean, that's just dumb on every level. Why not at least give God a chance? Why not at least listen to him for a little while? No, this world would rather listen to the devil and hide from God. Even while we want to enjoy the aspects of the garden. Okay, let's wrap this together. So God's in the garden. The Holy Spirit's here. Jesus is always in the garden. Jesus calls to us in the garden. He wants us to enter the garden. When you turn to the end of the Song of Songs, chapter 8, there's eight chapters, right at the end of chapter 8, the woman comes back to the man in the garden when she realizes where he is. And then he speaks in the garden. It's the final thing he says. He says, you who dwell in the gardens. Chapter 8, verse 13. You who dwell in the gardens with friends in attendance. So it's a community in the garden. It's not just one person. It's his church. Let me hear your voice. 
what's happening there? Why is God even saying that? He's saying, listen, you who are in the garden, you know who you are. You know you're in the garden. With others in attendance, you know the garden's not just all about you. You know it's about all God's people. Let me hear your voice. Why did he say that? Because way back in the original garden, when God called out, Adam, where are you? They didn't reply. They ignored him. They hid from him. They didn't want to meet with him. Because of their own shame, because of their own guilt, because of their own disobedience. The list is endless for the reasons of why people don't want to meet with God. It's an endless list. And there's nothing new under the sun. The reason why you may not want to meet with God is no different than the last 6,000 years of human history of why people haven't want to meet with God. But God remembers coming into that garden 6,000 years ago and calling out, Adam, where are you? Man, where are you? Woman, where are you? I'm here. I'm here. I'm here to meet with you. I'm here to give you eternal life. I'm here to take away your sins. Remember, God had already prepared a garment to cover their sin, even when he came into the garden. He knew what they'd done. Where are you? And what did they say? They said nothing. They didn't answer him. You who are in the gardens, let me hear your voice. When Jesus stood in that garden, when he rose from the grave, do you know what he said? He shouted, Mary, Mary. And when Mary heard her name called in the garden, she recognized who he was. And God had found the woman that he lost originally back in the garden. And if you think you're lost, if you think you've lost God's presence, if you think you've lost everything, let me tell you something. If you're in the garden, you haven't lost anything. He's here calling your name. He's here to meet with you. What do you have to do to meet with him? He wants to hear your voice. He wants you to respond to his call in the garden so that he can restore to you the life that was lost. He can restore to you everything that is back in God's paradise because he always takes us back to paradise. That was his promise. And so this morning, what's your response to his call in his garden? He's calling your name, but he wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear your response. I'm going to ask Pastor Jim to come. I don't know how you close your meetings here or how you tie things together, so I'm going to let Pastor Jim do that.